So we have a few announcements, and right before we give you, before we dismiss the kids, one of them concerns the kids, and Nathan Cooper, come on here, bud, is going to make the first announcement. Good morning. I want to remind everyone that next week is the last week to bring donations for Operation Christmas Child. Look for the yellow bucket in the lobby. If your family puts together an entire shoebox, please remember to rack the lid separately so it can be opened. Samaritan's Purse asks that we include $7 for each box to help cover shipping and gospel materials. So that is another way you can contribute to this outreach. There are bright yellow flyers on the back table if you want to take one of them as a reminder. Don't forget to pray for the children who will receive these special gifts. Thanks for your support. Thanks, Nathan. Okay, just a couple other announcements. Um, one is that uh, this afternoon is the 11th annual Candlelight vil- uh, Vigil. Uh, this is a silent procession to honor the men, the women, and the children who've died homeless and alone over this last year. And so if you want to know more about that, is, is Jackie. She's actually probably already over there. So um, if you want to get in touch with Jackie to connect on that event, let me know, and I can give you her number. Oh, she's upstairs. Okay, so she'll be around after the service. So if you want to, if you want to attend that, you can talk with her, get more information. We also have a need um, right now. We want to just ask, if you call Harbor Home, we'd like you to help out on Sundays. And so just either come in before the service to help set up or after the service just to spend a few minutes and help tear down. And so if you call Harbor Home, then this is kind of like some of those like family responsibilities. And uh, if you're willing to help us, we'll connect you. There's a few different things that you can choose to do. And we're talking about like once every two months. So it's not a huge commitment that we're asking for. Um, if you'd be willing to do that, you can fill out this connection card that's in your bulletin uh, and just say, hey, I want to help out on Sundays and we'll follow up and, and get in touch with you to connect you with a way to serve. And uh, speaking of these connection cards, these are also for you who are guests today. If this is your first time, please grab the card, fill it out, and um, you can either hand it to me or you can drop it in one of the offering boxes. There's one up here on the stage. There's also one back on the info table. Um, We'd love to just get a record of your visit, send you a letter, um, connect with you, and help you plug in any way that we can. So go ahead and fill this out, and we'll connect up with you. Um, The offering boxes are also there for those of you who want to support the work of our church, so please make use of those. Let's go to the Lord now. Let's ask him to bring his blessings to us as a church, to our city, and also to bless us as we come to his word. Pray with me. Father, thank you for, for being our God. Thank you for the privilege that it is to worship you, to stand in your presence, to remember who you are, remember what you've done for us through Jesus Christ, uh, to be forgiven again, to be reminded of your power that's at work in our lives. God, it fills us with thankfulness. It fills us with gratitude. Uh, It reminds us of how much we want the rest of our city and the world to know you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring your blessings on San Diego, bring your blessings, extend them to Tijuana. Thank you, Lord, for the church that was built and completed yesterday by harbor folks and others going down to build that church. Um, Lord, we thank you for the expanding power of the gospel that goes forth. And then the privilege, Lord, that you use us 
to be your ambassadors, to use us to be spokespeople for you, to be able to put your salvation on display in the things that we say, in the things that we do. And God, we want to be better at that. All of us, we've confessed our sins, or we want to grow. And so we pray now that as we look into your word, that you would use your word to that end, that we become better equipped, um, better able to serve others, better able to love, because we've understood your love and your power. And so be with us now. Open your word to our hearts so that we would grow and see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids can be dismissed to their... um, to their Sunday school classes. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. Um, if you don't, the scripture is in the bulletin on page 6. There's a place to take notes on page 7. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, but to make sure we get the context, uh, we're going to start our reading in verse 13. So Matthew 7, verses 13 to 23. Friends, listen. These are the words of Christ. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is God's word. Verses 21 to 23, this is a a hard passage to preach. This is awful, depressing, and frightening news. One of the reasons why we will typically preach through passages of the Bible is so that we don't skip over things. Because it's easy when we pick topics, it's easy when I pick topics to preach on to avoid things like this. And so part of the discipline of preaching through a book of the Bible or going through the book of Matthew um, is so that we don't skip over the hard passages because the reality is all of us need to hear all of the Bible. Now, Jesus in this verse, in verse 21, he talks about entering the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and this is one way that the Bible uses to describe what it means to be saved. Okay, you might have heard that term before. 
um, one of the overarching stories in the Bible from the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end of the book of the Bible, Revelation. It's the promise of God who is going to come and to reign over the world. He's going to be king. And God wants to do this not because he's power hungry, but because when God comes, he's going to fix everything that's wrong. Okay, and his kingdom is going to be a place where everything is healed and restored. And I think it's interesting on the, you know, at the cusp of this, you know, of, of our election, right, our voting on Tuesday, you know, all the candidates promise, if you elect me, I'll fix what's wrong, right? If you just vote for me, I can take care of all the problems in our country, in the world, in our state, in our city. The reality is that our political leaders, they can't. They can't fix what's wrong. They end up being given influence for a time to make incremental changes in a direction. But they can't fix what's wrong. I mean, as your pastor, I want you to vote responsibly, but I want you to vote with a perspective of the kingdom of God. And as much time and energy as you invest preparing to vote the solutions, vote for the solutions to our country, our society's problems, I want you to spend even more time and energy investing in making our church to be a solution to our society's problems. Does that make sense? So vote responsibly, but much more powerful than your vote will be us being a family of brothers and sisters who love each other, help each other, and can live out what we want for the rest of society. So back to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You know, when God comes to reign, God is going to exert his infinite power to change people's hearts. Right? That's the problem. Right? Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a society where you actually could trust big business to do the right thing? Where you could trust big government to do the right thing? Like, what would that be like? Can you imagine a society where nobody abused power? Where everybody who had power used power, used the influence that they had to serve. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus has come and what he's going to usher in. A world where people aren't selfish anymore. A world where you don't hurt other people anymore. A world where other people don't hurt you anymore. And a world where you are forgiven and adopted by God into his family where God provides all of your needs. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, look, this kingdom is coming. And when it comes, some people will get to experience this. When I reign as king, some people are going to join me as I reign. Those people will enter the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen this in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we, Jesus has talked about the kinds of people that will enter the kingdom. But in these verses, in verses 21 to 23, Jesus describes some people, and he says that they won't enter the kingdom. That's what he's saying. And this is a scary thing. 
This is a scary thing. And so the first thing we're going to see, verse 21, it's a warning. It's a warning. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So to say Lord, to call Jesus Lord, this meant to call him master. It meant to call him the king. Right? And so the idea here is that Jesus is saying, look, not everyone who calls themselves a Christian, not everyone who says that they're following Jesus is going to enter in to Jesus' reign. Now, those of you who are here who aren't Christians, you already know this. I mean, you do. Right? You know people who call themselves Christians, but then you see them. Right? You see how they act, how they live. You see what they're like at work, and you're thinking... Wow, that's Christianity? It doesn't seem like Christianity to me. Jesus agrees with you. Jesus agrees with you. There are people who call themselves Christians and aren't. Now, who these people are? Well, I think that the immediate context, Jesus, this definitely refers to the false prophets from verses 15 to 20, clearly talking about them but also false Christians. You know, some of the commentators, they used to use the term professors, not to talk about people who teach in university, but people who profess to be Christians. And so you have false prophets and then false professors. You know, and so these are people that claim to be Christians, and they aren't. And what's interesting is that the warning of Jesus, it fades into verse 22, which is a scene. The warning fades into a scene. It's like if, if this is a movie, Jesus says these words, and then sort of the, the screen melts, and then all of a sudden what appears uh, is a, a, the scene that appears, it's a flash forward, and you actually get to see this happen. Jesus doesn't just warn you about it, but he shows you what it's going to be like. He shows you the scene that he's warning about. Verse 22, he says, On that day. You see that there? He says, on that day. He's talking about this day in the future. This is the day of judgment. Right before Jesus brings in the fullness of his kingdom. Okay? So there's going to be judgment before the fullness of the kingdom of heaven come in, comes in. And these folks, he says, on that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works? In your name? And it's interesting, these people, right, they're preaching. They're casting out demons. They're doing miracles. That's what mighty works are. And uh, it's kind of confusing to me, right? Because you'd think if these folks are doing these things that they'd be in. Right? And yet they're not. Um, let me show you a verse. This is from Acts chapter 19, verse 13. Um, so this is after... Jesus has poured out his Holy Spirit and the, the church is beginning to grow. The church is exercising people. Listen to this. It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. So there were Jewish exorcists. They weren't Christians. They, they were Jews who hadn't yet believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And so some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And so part of, if you, if you read the Gospels, when it comes to exercising demons, 
you know, G Jesus would say, you know, demon, come out of them. And the apostles would say, you know, in the name of Jesus, come out of them. And so you had Paul and Peter, the apostles, who were casting demons out from people's lives. They were freeing people from bondage, from addiction, from spiritual darkness. And so these Jewish folks said, hey, man, when Paul and Peter do it, they invoke Jesus' name and it works. So they started doing it. They don't believe in Jesus, but they're saying, but it works. So they took on the name of Jesus and said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I adjure you, come out of him, right? And so this is what was going on. And so what's interesting about this is that I think it shows pretty clearly that you can do a lot of Christian things and not be a Christian. You can do a lot of Christian things and not be a Christian. I think in this scene on the last day, when these folks are standing before judgment, um, they were either in their lives, like using the name of Jesus for themselves, like using the power of Jesus, trying to like harness that power without following Jesus, or they were going back and revising their life history and saying, wait, 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 these good things, like, we, we did them for you, Jesus. Right? No, 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 we weren't just good people. We did this for you because you want us to do this, right? You said do unto others, and, and I did. I did unto others. Does that make sense? Like, we kind of tend to do this, especially when we get in arguments with spouses and relationships. Like, we'll go back over the history and be like, no, 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 you don't understand. No, no, this is what I meant. No, 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 I did it because of this. And I mean, sometimes we're being honest, sometimes we're not. But these folks are saying, wait, wait, Jesus, no, no, I was doing these things for you. For you. I'm not sure that there's a more depressing scene in the Bible. Like, as I think about this, I mean, these people standing before Jesus and saying, like, didn't we? They're arguing with Jesus. It's like the judgments come. They recognize they're not in, and they begin to argue with Jesus. It's like you get to the end of your life, and now you have to plead your case. I mean, you live your whole life, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. And then you stand before Jesus, the one who knows everything. And you're going you're gonna to argue. Like you're going to try to plead to get in. I'm not that old, but already in my life, I've had to see... I've had to bury people. Um, I've had to be present for funerals and memorials where the reality is, like, we didn't know where this person was. And I think about that, and I think, man, like, it doesn't have to be that way. 
So why would we ever, ever let it get to that place? Why would you run the risk of not knowing for sure? The folks who stand before Jesus in Matthew 7, they're caught off guard and they're scrambling. Why would you ever, ever choose that route? Like, why wouldn't you make sure? I think it's interesting because the basis of their argument, verse 22, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons, did many mighty works. It's like when they begin to make their case, it's all about good deeds. We did this, we did that, we did this, we did that. But good deeds don't save you. Good deeds can't save you. It's not good people who go to heaven. It's forgiven people who go to heaven. And so you can go to church, you can serve the poor, you can read the Bible, you can have friends who go to church, and still not be a real Christian. And if you're not, you won't enter the kingdom of God. And so the scene, I mean, it turns to tragedy. It turns to tragedy. Verse 23, Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. never knew you. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying like the thing that you missed is that we have no relationship. There's no relationship here. I never knew you because you weren't interested in knowing me. I mean, we confess, like, when it comes to knowing God, like, he makes his heart really clear. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God doesn't just want to know us, but God sent his son to be the mediator. He died to be a ransom for us. And so Jesus says, I never knew you because you weren't interested in knowing me. Salvation is not about doing good deeds. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. We've seen it already, but again, John 17, 3, this is eternal life. This is the kingdom of heaven. These are the people who enter. An eternal life is knowing you the only true and living God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus says to these people, I never knew you. And then he says, depart from me. Depart from me. The image here is being banished from the kingdom. Banished never to enter. 
the idea here is that if you spend your life apart from Jesus, Jesus is going to cause you to spend eternity apart from him too. C.S. Lewis said this in the Screw Tape Letters. He said there's two kinds of people. There are those who say to God, thy will be done. And then those to whom God says, all right, then thy will be done. Jesus says, if you didn't come to know me in this life, then you're not going to know me in the life to come. And then Jesus says, he says, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's interesting here, like the idea of lawlessness, I know like it, it sounds like, like breaking all the laws, right? And, and that works. I mean, th- that's, that is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, look, you've lived your life and you've broken my laws. Everybody has. Everybody has. And Jesus is saying, look, without a relationship with me, you'll stand condemned for your lawlessness. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. But it's not just about breaking laws, because when Jesus uses this phrase about lawlessness, like the word law doesn't just mean the commands of God, but it means the instructions of the Lord. And so when you read the Old Testament, when the the Old Testament talks about the law, David says, oh, how I love your law. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, making wise the simple. Right? It's the instruction of the Lord. It's not just the rules, but it's knowing. Like, part of the instruction of the Lord is that God is Father. Right? That God loves his people. That God cares. That God serves. And so to be lawless doesn't just mean lawbreakers, but it also means you've been living apart from the instruction of God. Like God has taught you who he is. God has made it clear to you the kind of person he is, and you've ignored him in your life. And so for us, This is a check. There's this circle of people who call Jesus Lord. And Jesus says, many, in verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Among people who claim to be Christians, many, many don't know him. There is hope in this passage. In this awful, depressing, and frightening news, there is good news. Um, And so we're going to see our fourth point is hope. There's hope because in this circle, in this big circle with many people in it who call Jesus Lord, there's a smaller circle. There's a smaller circle, and Jesus talks about them in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one 
who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, if you want to know if you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven or not, the question that you want to ask yourself is, am I one of those who does the will of God in heaven? Verse 21 says, right? Not everyone, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what does that mean? What is God's will? Well, it's kind of interesting, right? We've seen God's will, actually, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. God, our Savior, desires something. He desires something. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's interesting because a lot of times when we talk to both even Christians and non-Christians and and the idea of doing the will of God, making sure that you're a Christian, you you hear, okay, I need to do the will of God. Most people think, all right, wait, so my problem is that I'm not obedient enough, right? Right? And what I need to do is I need to actually do God's will. I need to fix my life. I need to stop sinning. I need to stop whatever I am. I need to change myself. And then I can have a relationship with Jesus. Friends, that's backwards. That's backwards. That is not the will of God. God's will is that you be saved. And you know who, who, you know who God saves? That's right. Who said it? God saves sinners. God doesn't save the perfect people. I mean, the only perfect people are liars. But even them, like Jesus gives credit to them and says, you know what, I didn't even come to call the righteous. I didn't come to call the perfect. I came to call the weak, the broken. I came to call the frustrated and the depressed. I came to call the folks who don't have their act together. I came to call sinners to know me. Friends, that's good news. If you want to do the will of God, if you want to make sure that you're in that small circle and that you're not just calling Jesus Lord, but you have a relationship with him, it starts by confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness. Because until you have a relationship with Jesus, And nothing that you do matters. You can't fix yourself. You can't get good enough to overcome the bad that you've done. You just can't. You can't. And God doesn't want you to. If you don't know Jesus, or if you're not sure if you do, then God doesn't want you to hear this message and get up to go do anything. Okay? The will of God for you to do is to sit there and believe. You need to trust Jesus with your life. Because remember, the will of God, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? When Jesus says, those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven, he's just given us three chapters on the will of the Father. And where does it start? Blessed are the... Are the poor in spirit. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? 
needs to be a spiritual zero. You know the song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, coming forward to carry me home? You know what that says to me? It's like, God, make sure when you come down to sweep people up off of earth and bring them home, or bring them to heaven with you, make sure that you swing low enough to get under my knees. Right? I'm a little bit nervous, God, because I see other people, and they're higher than I am. I'm way down low on the ground. And so, Lord, when you come to gather your people, will you swing low enough to catch me? It's like this big, giant C-Rex in the sky, right? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forward to carry me home. Jesus says, man, that thing scrapes the ground. That thing digs holes in the ground to bring you up from the grave. If you are dead in your sins and you are locked and trapped in addiction and filth, no matter what it is or what you've done, and that chariot will swing low enough to catch you if you would confess to God and be honest with him and ask for forgiveness. That's the gospel. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus says, if you want to do the will of my Father in heaven, don't move. First, believe. Because the one who is saying this, Right? The one who's going to have to say, depart from me, to some. The one who's going to have to say, I never knew you, to some. Is the one who came to die for your sins. The God who will judge is the God who came to save. So that you can be sure that you know him. So that you can call him Lord and mean it. If you want to trust Jesus right now, if you want to make sure that you are trusting him right now, just literally, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I am sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. If you can say that today, then that chariot swings low enough for you. The joy in this is that then, when you get up to do the will of God, right? When you get up to follow the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be a peacemaker, right? To be merciful to other people. When, when you look at your heart and say, you know what, I don't want just my actions, but I want my heart to be different. I want my heart to want the right things, not just to do the right things. When you take steps to become, and again, I'm just going through the Sermon on the Mount right now. Um, when you take steps to say, you know what, I don't want to just be a righteous person in public before other people, but I want to be righteous in private when I'm all alone, right? When, when you get to that place where you're ready to get up and do the will of God in the rest of your life, you're not doing it to try to earn something from God. Then you're doing it out of gratitude. It's not, God, I'm going to do this in hopes that you'll receive me. It's God, thank you that by your grace, by your extravagant grace, you have received me. And because of your love, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead. That makes all the difference in the world. Knowing Jesus changes you. You don't fix yourself and then come to know Jesus. you got to know Jesus because it's knowing him that gives you the power, the love, the perspective, and the gratitude to want to follow. 
that's what changes you. You don't have to hear this from Jesus spoken to you. You never ever have to hear Jesus say these words. You can be sure. And if you still struggle, this is why we have groups in our church. This is why we gather together on a weekly basis to connect, to support each other. Sometimes we still look at a verse and go like, I still don't know where I am. I still don't know if I've really believed, if I really trust him. Right? I'm struggling with sin, and this sin, I can't seem to overcome it. Then, well, how could I be doing the will of God if I'm stuck in this addiction? Or if I'm stuck in this behavior? You need community around you. You need friends that can give you more of God's perspective. If you're not in one of our community groups, I want to encourage you to jump in. They're listed on page one in your bulletin. These are places where we come together and encourage each other. Because we're all trying to be on the narrow way, on the hard way, and we all need help. We all need help. Friends, let's go to the Lord. Let's go to him together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in the awful and depressing and frightening realities that some will face, that you have made it so clear so that we don't have to face that. Thank you for your grace. Jesus, there are times where it feels like as we look and talk to other people uh, from other religions that every religion seems to be all about what we do. It's about doing and doing and doing and doing. Thank you that when it comes to the will of your Father, it has been done already. that you have done it perfectly. When you died for us, Lord, we all have practiced lawlessness. And we need your forgiveness. We need it fresh, day by day. Thank you, Lord, for giving us assurance of your love, for adopting us into your family before we begin to obey. Pray, Lord, that you would speak to each person here, that we'd be able to see your face, to hear you say, not the one who does the will of my Father, and to look at us with a smile on your face and say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Help us all to see that when we're honest, that's the beginning of us experiencing your presence. Give us the freedom to confess who we are so that we can be forgiven and we can experience your presence that will change us from the inside out. And we pray this in your name.